live. We'll wait for a couple people to. I don't. I am not God, and I don't have a crystal ball. But I can tell you what's allowed and what's not allowed. A lot of things are in that area. Okay, how about? Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't like to talk about things that. Right, I don't, I don't like to talk. I don't like to talk about things that I don't know about, uh, because then I'm just like a joker. And then, then it's just my opinion. What, what do I? No, it's not about. I don't care about the hate. I don't know. It doesn't make a difference to me the hate. But the thing is, though, is that who, who, who cares about my opinion? Who cares about my opinion? If it's right, good. If it's wrong, then what's, who cares about my opinion? It's my opinion. You want to state your opinion? Enjoy. I don't care about your opinion either, though. I care about God's opinion. I'm gonna. I, your opinion may be nice. It may be smart. It may be genius. But if it's wrong. Then I'm not gonna, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not gonna change my life for your opinion. You're not gonna change your life for my opinion. You should only change your life for, for God's opinion. That's that's really what we're trying to say. A lot of people talk about their opinions, but that's the problem. That's the problem. It's opinions. We said that we'll start. We are now in the Perkavot uh, number 96, I believe, Oh Hashem. And uh, we are still on the same Mishnah. We're still on the Mishnah in Avot, Hei Chet, uh, 5, 8. Chapter 5 of the Pirkei Avot and the 8th Mishnah in there. Uh, we also have Parashat uh, Etzaveh this week. It's a uh, parasha that deals extensively with the Kohanim. Uh, and anyone that didn't learn the parasha. Uh, we'll tell you, why, why do I need to know about the Kohanim if I'm not a Kohen? Maybe I could skip this parasha. So, as a matter of fact, there's an enormous amount of information to learn for each and every one of us from Parashat Tzaveh or from every, every parasha. Uh, there's also a couple of questions that I'm sure you have. There's a couple of questions that other people have asked me and I uh, told them that I'll answer. Bezot Hashem will try to do all of it. Um, and... Uh, also, we'll do it for a refuah shlema for Levana Bat Sarah, Sarah Bat Levana, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Nesriya, Elisheva, Chaya Bat Sarah, Dvora Bat Mercedes, Chana Bat Miriam, and all of Am Yisrael, Bezat Hashem, will have refuah shlema, refuah anefesh, refuah aguf. We had, Baruch Hashem, already a couple of shiurim this week and um, last night we talked about the uh, some more details about money how to have bracha in the money people love to talk about money they talk about it at shuls they talk about it at work they talk about it at the shulchan shabbat they talk about it at their dinner they talk about it in their dreams they talk about it when they wake up out of their dreams there was a guy that came to um, Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Kachlon, Rav Chaim's father, Rav Chaim's tzaddik. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the 36 tzaddikim in the world. Bemet, I'm not joking, he's mamash. I don't think he's human. He's mamash, he's an unbelievable human being. Ish Kadosh. You see, Ish Kadosh, Ish Kadosh. So he's the type of person, I want to tell you Ish Kadosh. You're thinking, oh wow, he learns a lot of Gemara. Oh wow, he knows a lot of Torah. 
That doesn't make you kadosh if you know a lot of Torah. Achav. Achav knew a lot of Torah also. You know what Achav? Achav knew 127 divrei Torah on every subject in the Torah. Meaning, he can give you 127 different lectures on any subject you want. Pick a subject. Pe'an uh, 127 lectures. Pick a, pick a subject. Shabbat, 127 lectures. Pick a subject. Uh, red cow. Nobody understands red cow. 127 lectures. Achav. Kamara says, has no share of the world to come. Why? Greed. His greed, he lost his Olam Abba. He lost Olam Abba. So just because you know a lot doesn't mean a lot. It's important, but if you don't know how to use it, it's useless. So during the holidays, Rav Chaim, he always has Achnasat Orchim. He's a big Baal Chesed where he, uh, Mamash, with nothing, they make an uh, enormous amount of uh, Chesed in the world. And he doesn't bring like uh, the neighbors that uh, they really have food in their own house. You know, people like to have achnasat ochim. Well, not because they, they, the guy doesn't have anywhere to go. No, they want to do, oh, come, come to my house for Shabbat. Why? I just remodeled my kitchen. I want to show it to you. Oh, my wife is a really good cook. You should have her food. Why are you, why are you inviting him to show off? You're not inviting him because achnasat ochim, it's a, you're really welcoming a guest. You're inviting him because you want to show off. You want to show off the cooking. You want to show off the new house. You want to show off the old house. You want to show off the new this, the new that. It's showing off, which by the way is not a mitzvah. It's nice, you can, have, you can have guests all the time, but it's not a mitzvah. It's just nice, nice to do, good for you. If you're doing it for showing off, it may be even avera, by the way. But that's a different story. Achnasat orchim, rabotai karim, bringing guests to your house means that they don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have anywhere else to go. Now, maybe they're a visitor in town. Maybe uh, they don't know how to do Shabbat. They, they're, they're chilonim, they're secular. Maybe they got divorced recently, or a widow, or something like that. Shemerachem. But the Gemara talks about it and says one of the top, on top of the list, on top of the list of who was the Oreach, the typical Oreach, the typical guest, homeless people. People didn't have anywhere, not they didn't have anywhere, you know, because they're new in town. No, they have nowhere to be, period. They have nowhere to be on Shabbat or any other day other than Shabbat. Today, there's a tale, there's a leniency not to necessarily be obligated to bring homeless people to your house because of the mental conditions of people today. You don't know who's a murderer and you don't know who's a tzaddik. They sometimes look the same. But the point is, Rabotai, is that Achnasat Ochim is to bring somebody that's, uh, you know, not exactly uh, somebody you're trying to show off for. So he brings Gezbo Hashem from all walks of life, strange people, all types of people. One time he brings this guy, Rav, uh, Rav Chaim brings this, uh, this guy. The guy, not that he, uh, it wasn't even a holiday. The guy was in a neighborhood and he was looking for something. He's asking, you need something? What, can I help you with something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you, uh, can you give me $10? He doesn't know him. Rav Chaim is an Avrech, makes 1,500 shekels a month. It's not like he has a... Okay, upset. He doesn't look... The guy didn't look like he was doing so well. You need $10. Give it to come, come. Come to my house. He brings him to the house. That's chesed, by the way. Give him, give him $10 out of your pocket. Okay, it's nice. Mitzvah. Chesed is making him feel good about it. Well, come, come to my house. The house is right over here. He brings him to the house. 
gives them the, the ten dollars in Israel, they have a little bit of a different manners over there. A little bit different. So he says, after you give them ten dollars, he goes, Can I have some food too? Can I have some food? Oh, okay, sure, sure. Have a seat, Joe. You have something fresh you can make me? You can make me a nice sandwich or something? Gives him an order. He thinks he's in a restaurant. Gives him a nice order. He goes, You have a sandwich? No problem. He takes out a brand new challah. Brand new challah. Cuts it open. Makes him a mash sandwich and a half. And the guy is about to jump on this thing, eat it like it's a zebra. Like a lion is about to just caught a zebra. He's about to eat this thing like he never ate before in his life. So if Chaim stops it, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to bless. You got to bless. What do you say? Baruch atah Hashem. Elokenu melech haolam. Amotzi lechem min. And the guy says, Akesef. Motzi lechem min amani, he thinks. Rav Chaim takes the sandwich back. No, say it right. And he wouldn't let him eat it until he said it right. He goes, why? It doesn't come for money. You paid for it, right? Because it doesn't come for money. It comes from Hashem. He gave Musa less and didn't let him eat until he actually did bracha. But unfortunately, Rabotai is not the only one. He's not the only one that thinks Motzi Lechemina Kesef. A lot of people think Motzi Lechemina Kesef. A lot of people think that money is the reason why they have what they have. They have the house they have, they have the car they have, they have the kids they have, the wife they have, the husband they have, and all the things they have, they think it's motzi lechemina kesef. So we talked about it a little bit last night. We talked about it. And I can tell you that some people didn't like what they heard. Why? Talking about different zgulot, different ways of how to make money, there's plenty. I can read you a book. Plenty of ways, plenty of things that I can tell you of how you can make more money. The problem is, is that it won't work. I can tell you all the different, I can give you a lecture, five-hour lecture if you want, of different gulot of how you can make money. But it won't work. You can do exactly what I tell you, but it won't work. Why? Why wouldn't it work? Zgula, it says, do this, do this, do this, do this. Do tefillat uh, every day, read uh, Parashat Aman. You read Parashat Aman. A lot of people read Parashat Aman. Parashat Aman, where Hashem talks about how He brings the, He brought Am Yisrael, the man from Shemaim. Many people read Parashat Aman. And while they're reading it, their brokerage account goes from wherever it was to zero. While they're reading the Parashat Aman, it goes down 90% or 100%. While they're reading it, though. Why does it work? Or they read Parashat Aman and the business just declared bankruptcy. Or the IRS just knocked in. Hello, sir? Yes, you, uh, you have some taxes you haven't paid for in five years. We're uh, taking away all the assets. Why? You read Parashat Aman. How come it didn't work? Because Rabotai Karim for Zgulat to work, what the fake rabbis are never going to tell you is that first and foremost, you have to be a Zgulat. You have to be a Zgulat. I'm Zgulat. We are I'm Zgulat. We are a nation of miracles. You want miracles to happen? You have to be a miracle. What's a miracle? Be the Yaakov in a world full of Esavs. You want this gulat to work? You have to be Yaakov. You want to continue being Esav? No gulat in the world is going to work. And anytime you think it's working, it's only the Satan fooling you. Which, by the way, people ask me all the time, this person is doing this, this, and this, and he still has a lot of money. How come? 
this woman, uh, she, uh, somebody told her to take off the scarf off of her head and put on a wig, and she got a miracle for it. Or this person uh, did something that's wrong, and he succeeded. How come? How come? What, Hashem doesn't see? Hashem HaChem, of course he sees. But Satan also sees. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like he made himself a Kisei HaKavod, the throne of glory, he also made a throne of glory for the Satan himself. And the Satan pays well also. The Satan pays well. You make sins, he pays you cash. He'll pay you a ton of money, just don't come to the Shiur Torah. He'll make you think that by you going to the Shiur Torah, you're going to lose money. He'll make you think that by you becoming more religious, you're going to lose money. But just recently we found out, PEW Research, that people that keep mitzvot, people that are religious, unlike what most people will tell you, is actually a research about this. People that keep mitzvot means that they work less than people that don't keep mitzvot. Why? First and foremost, they don't work on Shabbat. So already once a week you have a vacation. Second of all, you have holidays during the year. You have almost two months worth of holidays. So that means that you are really working 10 months out of the year minus Shabbat. So you're working much less than a non-religious Jew. But yet, statistically speaking, we're not talking about religious-wise, statistically speaking, PEW research confirmed anyone that's religious is just as likely to make over $150,000 a year as someone that's not religious. Which technically means if you're religious, you make more money because you work less. But the Satan is going to make you think that if you don't, if you don't work on Shabbat, you're going to make less money. The Satan is going to tell you that if you don't watch the new CNBC show to know what the current news are, you're going to lose money in the stock market tomorrow. So if you're going to, instead of go to Shiel Torah, watch Torah, you're not going to watch the Wall Street Journal, you're going to lose money. Satan's going to tell you all those things. Why? He pays cash. He needs employees to work for him. What do you think? He's going to, uh, every time you made a sin, you're going to lose money. Anybody's going to stay a sinner, everybody become Moshe Rabenu. So for all of those that have that question of how come sinners sometimes get gifts or even often get gifts, it's only because the Satan is paying them cash too. So now, in our Avot series, we have quite a bit to learn. Parashat Tzaveh, we have quite a bit to learn. And this is the type of stuff that could, if someone really understands it and take, takes all of this into account, this is the type of information that can make a sub into Yaakov. This is the type of information that could get a person to leave Gehenom and go into Gan Eden. But you have to understand it and you have to mamash, take it into account. So first and foremost, we talked about last night of how before the Mashiach comes, the Rambam says that there will be 15 days of darkness, which agrees with what the Nevi'im say. The prophets say the same thing. And the Gemara in Maseret Sanhedrin says that the Mashiach, the same Mashiach, that's talked about since the beginning of the Torah, since the book of Genesis, when Yaakov Avinu told his sons, come, let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of days. So we already know about Mashiach from 5,000 years ago. The same Mashiach 
He's going to have a lot of work to do. And everybody's excited. But in reality, everybody should be focused more on tshuva. And the reason why is because the Gemara says the Mashiach is only going to come for a generation of righteous or a generation of wicked. So the Chachamim ask, well, how could it be if it's never going to be everyone righteous and everyone wicked? It's always going to be a mix. Ma'at says exactly. Before the Mashiach comes, everyone is going to have to make a choice. Either you're completely righteous or you're completely wicked. No more halfway. No more datiloni. Half a secular and half a religious. No more religious on the outside, tameh on the inside. No more. You have to make a decision. That decision is going to be the hardest decision of your life. Why? You're going to have to turn yourself into Ben Ishchai. Your own version of Ben Ishchai. Your own version of Baal Shem Tov. Your own version of Moshe Rabbeinu. Your own version of Sarai Menu. Your own version of Rachel Menu. Your own version of Chana. Your own version. You have to get to you 100% decision. Mila Hashem Eli. Whoever is with Hashem is with me. Meaning... Hashem comes first, before anything else, before your parents, before your brothers, before your sisters, before everybody. It's a very hard decision. It's a very hard decision. Why? First and foremost, you have to give up on the old Eloi Kesef Eloi Azav. The God of money, the God of gold, is no longer the God at all. You may have money, you may not have money, but it already, as soon as you realize you have to connect to Hashem, 100%, you realize the connection and desire for the material is disconnecting you from where you're supposed to be doesn't mean that you have to be homeless in the middle of the street but to aspire and make that your number one goal in life is ruining your connection with Hashem it's the first thing you have to realize after that obviously there's many other things so this parasha parasha gives us a little hint of what I just said but since the Torah was written by God, he doesn't need many words. So it says in the beginning of the parasha, Hashem talks to Moshe. He says, Vata, which is talking to Moshe. It's the first time that Moshe's name is not being mentioned. And why? And the reason why is because this is, parashat is at the same time. It's read every year at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday. And because Moshe Rabbeinu, said to Hashem, instead of killing Am Yisrael after they made Cheta Egel, erase me out of, your, uh, out of your book. Instead of erasing them, erase me. Or if you're going to erase them, erase me. Hashem says, I'm not going to erase you, I'm not going to erase them, but tiny little bit of what you said, I will fulfill. How? On your birthday, I'll erase your name from the Torah. On your birthday, parasha, you're not going to have your name in the Torah. But this is also one of the signs of humility that Moshe Rabbeinu had. And the reason why is because you never see Moshe complaining about it either. I wrote the Torah though. No, it's five books of Moses. Shouldn't I have my name in the Torah? No. Not a question, not a doubt, not a nothing, not a complaint. So it says, says, You shall command the children of Israel that they shall take for you Clear olive oil. What's clear olive oil? The Chachamim say that oil is a sign for Am Yisrael. A sign for Am Yisrael. 
more than anything else. It's always a symbolic sign for Am Yisrael. First and foremost, we see that oil, if you mix it with any other liquid, it always floats to the top. It's always lighter and always floats to the top. Just like Am Yisrael, it doesn't matter how much they beat us up and they kill us and they pogroms and the Holocaust and Hashem Rachem and all the different things that have happened to us, we always come back. Why? Hashem promised. Hashem promised Am Yisrael, Am Zgula. Am Zgula meaning we're not subject to the rest of the world's nature. Hashem promised to keep us alive forever. So oil always floats to the top. The second thing is, is that we remain separate. If you mix oil with water, the oil will always separate itself from the water. Just like a Jew is supposed to. A Jew is not supposed to act like the Goyim. Not because he's racist. Not because he doesn't like the Goyim. It has nothing to do with that. It's because the Goy has a certain role in the world, and the Jew has a certain role in the world. It's as simple as it gets. It has nothing to do with racism. Racism is based on mankind. Racism is based on your opinion, my opinion, which are flawed. Why? Because our opinions change every week. Last week you like blue, this week you like black, next week you're going to like red, and every week you're going to change your opinion. Last week you like steak, next week you're a vegetarian, the week after that you only eat taref, and people's opinions change all the time. Racism is based on opinion. What's your opinion of a certain race? Last week he liked the Indian people, and this week he doesn't like the Egyptian ones, and this week he doesn't like the Yemenite, or the Ashkenazi, or the Sephardi, or the this one, and that one's all shtuyot. It's mankind's opinion. The Torah doesn't have racism. The Torah has God's opinion. What's God's opinion? He says the Jew has a role in the world. The role of the, of the Jew is to be a light to the nations, meaning you have to lead by example. You have to fulfill the entire Torah and to show the world that by fulfilling the entire Torah, you're sanctifying Hashem's name. You're encouraging other people to also want to sanctify Hashem's name, either as a non-Jew or as a Jew. If they're already Jewish, then you're encouraged just by your behavior. You're encouraging them to stay connected to Hashem. If they're not Jewish, perhaps you're encouraging them to want to become Jewish and convert. So, but if you act like a goy, you have a problem. Why do you have a problem? Hashem says you not only are not serving your purpose, you're serving the opposite of the purpose. Your purpose would be to be a light to the nations. If you're not serving your purpose, then you just do nothing. You just be like a little golem in the middle of nothing, doing nothing. You just care about yourself. You're in a room. You don't affect anyone. You don't talk to anyone. No one knows you exist, Bichlal. That's a golem. But when you go against Hashem, you violate Shabbat, you violate all the rules of the Torah, and nonetheless, you start uh, befriending all of the goyim. You want to go to the political parties. You want to spend a lot of time talking about politics. Who's the president? Who's the vice president? Who's the treasury? Who's the not treasury? Who's the... You want to talk about all those things instead of divret Torah. Huh? Hashem says you're not only not serving your purpose and being a light to the nations, you're doing the opposite. You're mixing with the goyim. And that creates such a problem. What kind of problem? 
If I told you that such a problem can create a holocaust, would you believe me? Well, it almost did. When? Purim. The story before the story was exactly that. Before Achashverosh took power, Cyrus was the uh, was a king, and he decided, you know what? Let me be the leader that the prophet Isaiah talked about two hundred years before, and build a better Mikdash, even though he was a goy. Let me be the tool. It actually said his name in the Torah. 200 years before he did, he decided, let's launch, let's start and build the Beit HaMikdash. So, Ami said, I'm going to build the Beit HaMikdash. What do you think? If somebody said right now, listen guys, Mashiach is here. The first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. There's a Nevoah, there's a prophecy, there's going to be a second Beit HaMikdash. Okay, we're going to build it. We're starting now, which is to us, Mashiach arrived. Let's go. What do you think? All of Amisa should be getting on into the planes. El Al, Jet Blue, this blue, that blue. Every flight goes to Ateretzi side. Why? Mashiach is here. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. Rabotai, Ayekarim, the reality was people didn't want to go. What do you mean they didn't want to go? Out of millions of Jews, millions of Jews around the world that heard the news that they're building the Beit HaMikdash, only 42,000 went to Eretz Yisrael. Why? The rest of them liked being among the, among the non-Jews. They liked their life. They liked eating pizza in Italy. They liked to uh, eat Chinese food in China. They liked talking politics at the White House. They liked it. They don't want to change. They want to stay in Egypt. What's the problem? Mashiach is here though. That's his problem. I think that if, in my opinion, if the Mashiach arrived today, I think we wouldn't be too different. Which is one of the reasons why we're obligated to learn Megillat Estel every year. It's not because the story changed. It's because we haven't learned it enough. If we did, Mashiach would actually already be here. In a good way. So now, 42,000 people show up. To prove the point further, Achashverosh takes leadership, stops the building of the Bet HaMikdash. Instead, he decides to have a celebration that the Bet HaMikdash is not being built. Why? Because it was a prophecy. They knew Torah. The Goim knew Torah. They weren't uh, like today's Goim who don't know anything. Today, or the Jews sometimes also. They knew Torah. They said, listen, their prophet Isaiah said, is going to be a new uh, Betamikdash after 70 years. According to his calculations, 70 years have passed, even though technically it was only 62. He calculated seven years. Okay, the Betamikdash was not built. Why? I stopped it, he said. I stopped the Betamikdash from being built. So we should celebrate. That means that, I, that Hashem left Am Yisrael. If he left Am Yisrael, I have nothing to worry about. Let's celebrate. And in fact, let me invite a bunch of Jews to the party. Do you think that a bunch of Jews are going to show up to a party held by Hitler? No, right? But they did over here. How many of them? A bunch of them. Who? The rabbis. Mordechai is screaming at the door. No, no, it's Hitler. It's Hitler. And his brother and his sister, he hates you. He's celebrating 
that the Beit Knesset was not built. Okay, listen, for each their own, we have to be uh, nice. You know, we live in their country. We have to respect the law. We live in America. What? What? If he's the president, he's the president. So what? If it's the rule, what do you mean, so what? It's against the Torah, you imbecile. It's against the Shem. Listen, Hashem understands. If he didn't understand, he wouldn't make it happen. They start rationalizing. Rationalizing their sins like people rationalize the behavior of the Goyim since then. If people knew as much about the Torah as, as they know about the economy, or they know about the White House, and who's the president and who's not, or they know about sports and who gets what salary and who de- get, doesn't get a salary, Mashiach would be here and everybody would be tzaddikim. The problem is we're spending too much time being like the Goim, like we did in Purim 2,500 years ago. Many of them showed up, and because they showed up, they said, listen, we have to be nice. We, we're living here. And look how nice they are to us. They even served us kosher wine. Look, the White House is serving kosher food now. Obviously, they're, they're, they're welcoming us. They like us. White House is serving kosher food. What's the problem? They, they welcome us. No. The White House back then also served kosher food. And then Achashverosh, Yimach Shimo Bezichro, came out, came out with what? With the clothing that we learn about in this parashat Tetzaveh of the Kohen Gadol. Celebrating, look, the Bet HaMikdash is not being built. Why? I stopped it. I'm wearing the clothes of the Kohen Gadol to show you. It's finished. Just become Goyim. Give it up. Give it up. And what we do as fools, and I say we because it was us. It wasn't some strangers that lived 2,000 years ago. It's us. That's why we're still here. What do we do? Say, okay, the Chaim. Chaim. Chashverosh. Chaim. Haman. The Chaim. Hashem says, okay, you want to say the Chaim for not building the Mikdash? I'll give you the Chaim. So when we act like Goim and we play baseball and football and basketball and sports and White House and news and stock market and all the stuff that we're not supposed to be doing, it could bring a Holocaust. That's what this whole holiday is about. Now it also connects to this parasha. Why? Hashem says you want to be saved from this Holocaust. You want to be saved in the days of Mashiach that's going to be full of confusion. You're not going to know who's religious and who's not. Be a Shemenzait Zach. Not just a Shemenzait. Don't just be a Jew because your mom's a Jew. Don't just be a Jew because your grandfather's a rabbi. Be a Jew because you're clear. Clear of what? Clear of all of the Averot. Clear of all the Amalek that's in our mind that taints us to go and be a Goy. Be clear of all those things. Be a clean, kosher oil. Not a touch of Abu Dazara. Not on your wig and not in your behavior. Not on your money and not in your business. Shemen Zait Zach. Don't just be a Shemen. There's plenty of Shemens in the world. There's 8,000 of them. 8 uh, billion of them. Don't be Shemen Zait. There's 20 million of them. Be Shemen Zait Zach. Shemen Zait Zach. Without the Shem, you'll have blessing.
So that's already the first one. After this, we learn how Hashem is very, very particular about the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and the Kohanim in general to such a point where he actually mentions several times that if there's a mistake is being made, the Kohen gets a death penalty. Now, this seems a little bit extreme. If you don't understand it, it seems a little extreme. Why it seems a little extreme? Okay, so the guy has eight pieces of clothing. He forgot one of them. Forgot one. So he wore seven. Why? Makes him a rashab because he wore seven pieces of clothing? He wore seven instead of eight. Oh, not that. He wore all eight. But one of the bells that he had fell off. He didn't notice. But death penalty because he's missing a bell? The bell, just a little bit. He has all eight pieces of clothing. One bell fell off. Why? No. Why you machmir? Why you so strict? Because each one of these pieces of clothing, Abutaye Karim, means eternity. First and foremost, we understand right from the beginning to answer one person's question is that in chapter 28, verse 5, Hashem Ibarach says, they shall, make, they shall take gold and turquoise and purple and scarlet wool and linen. These are the different things that make the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. So here we see something peculiar. There is Shatnez. Wool and linen. There's a rule in the Torah that if you wear wool and linen together, it's like you have fire on. Where if you know one of your friends has chashva shalom, wool and linen at the same time, he has a jacket and he has a little wool and linen in it, and you know for sure it's in there. It's not like safek. For sure you know he has shatnez on. You, not only you should, you're obligated to what? Take off the jacket off of his back. Why? It's like fire. Every single second that he wears wool and linen is a sin from the Torah. Not a rabbinical sin. It's a sin from the Torah. Sin from Hashem. Wait, hey, hold on a second. Kohen Gadol, the biggest tzaddik in town, he's wearing shatnez. How could it be? Already here we see he's special. He's different. It's like an island. The Bet Mikdash was an island. It wasn't an island really. Meaning different rules apply in the Bet Mikdash. You were able to light fire on Shabbat in the Bet Mikdash. Why? Kobanot. It's like a different island. It's a different place. It's unique. It's not really of this world. When someone is a Kohen Gadol, he's, not, he's partly in this world, he's partly in Olam Abba. Different rules apply. Different rules apply. So already we see, whereas an average guy like us is making a sin from the Torah, wearing shatnez, he's making a mitzvah. This is one corner, the other one, the other corner. Why? Different world, different rules. Why? It's Kohen Gadol. So already we see something extraordinary. Next, we see that it says in verse 11, a jeweler crop, when it's talking about the ephid, 
Yefid, the thing that he had over here. It talks about how it had the stones on the uh, on the shoulders. And also, later on, talks about the breastplate. It says something we talked about uh, last week in the Mishnah Avot, which says, a jeweler's craft like an engraving, or a signet ring, shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. So the two stones that the Kohen had on his shoulders had the names of the 12 tribes. But it says it's going to be like an engraving. What do you mean, like? Is it an engraving or is not? If I tell you, listen, write me a letter. With what? Something like a pen. Okay, is it a pen or is it a pencil? It's like a pencil. Is it, so it's a pencil then. No, 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 it's not a pencil. It's like a pencil. It's like a pen, but it's like a pencil. No, 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 you have to decide. You're driving me crazy now. Pick one. Pencil or pen? Okay, it's a marker. No, 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 no. It's like a marker. <laughs> you have to pick one. Are you crazy? Are you in this world or in the other world? Which way you have your hand? No, it's like. What's like? If you read the Hebrew and you understand it, you see it's the translation is the best they can do. Why? It doesn't say like. What does it say? Tiftach et avanim. The two rocks will be opened. What does it mean, opened? Like I, spo- I spoke to you guys last week, the Shamir worm, the Shamir worm, made a mark that, ing- that made the mark that made the names of the 12 Shvatim, of the 12 tribes, that looked like it was an engraving, but it wasn't an engraving. Why? Because an engraving takes away a piece of the material, a piece of the rock. You engrave the wall, a small part of the wall will be lost. But the Shamir worm, it didn't engrave it. It looked like it engraved it, but in reality, it just opened it. Tiftach. Tiftach means it opened it. It's like a uh, laser. Like a laser. So here you see what we learned last week's Mishnah. It's like Hashem had it all planned out. So, then you continue. Where it says, V'nasa Aaron et Shmotam lifnei Adonai al shtek tefab lezikaron. It says, Aaron, the Kohen Gadol, he shall carry their names, these two uh, rocks that have it on the shoulders, should carry their names, meaning the 12 tribes, before Hashem, on his shoulders, as a remembrance. Wait a minute. Hashem, why, Hashem forgot the 12 tribes? No, it says you should have the names of the 12 tribes, so when he comes in front of Hashem, in the Kodesh Kodeshim, Hashem can see it, and he remembers. What do you mean he remembers? He forgot them? So, Chazal says that when God sees the names, He recalls their righteousness. He recalls the 12 Shvatim, the 12 tribes, and He remembers all their righteous acts, all the good things that they did, all the amazing things they did in their entire lives. But... Then you can say, wait a minute, does Hashem really need to see the names in order to remember? Hashem remembers. He doesn't need to see anything to remember. So here the Musa that we're learning is really not for Hashem. It's for us. Rabbi Yisrael Misalant one time brought a big fish to his Bet Midrash. Everyone is learning. But a lot of their learning, they did from watching Rabbi Israel. 
They saw today, Kvod Arav, with the Ruach HaKodesh, has a giant fish with him too. Maybe the, he's going to bring the fish back to life. I don't know. So everyone's waiting to see what he's going to do with the fish. He puts the fish on the stem there over there on top of the table, takes a ninja knife, tach, chops his head off. Everyone's looking. Okay, maybe he's going to put it back together now. Tach, and now another piece off. Okay, maybe he's, make, he's making it even more difficult to put them together. Tach, tach, he cuts them into little pieces. Okay, now everybody's very curious. Like, can he really put it back together? He's quiet. He's not saying anything. So all the all the students hearing and seeing this noise, they gather around the Kvodarav and said, you know, what are we going to learn here? Is there magic? Wow, what's happening? And then Rabotai Karimi looks at all of his students and he says, you see this fish? You see what it used to be, yeah. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't learn Torah every day. Well, we didn't know. It's what we hear already. We're, we're learning Torah. No, no, no. Seeing is believing. Yet this, I told you, a lot of things I told you, but sometimes you need to see it. Sometimes you need to see. Sometimes somebody needs to die in order to believe in Gainum. They have near-death experiences and all types of hallucinations and so on. Sometimes Hashem has to kill you in order to make you do tshuva. Sometimes he has to make you sick in order for you to do tshuva. Sometimes he has to take all your money in order for you to realize that all the money came from him in the first place. Sometimes he has to get you to go through all types of problems in order for you to realize he is the only solution. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. He says, Shmotam lifnei Hashem al shtek tefav lezikaron. The names are going to be on his shoulders in front of Hashem as a memory. What is a memory? For their acts. Why? Every one of us is obligated to say, when are my acts going to be like their acts? Why? Their acts were so good, Hashem engraved their names on the shoulders of the Kohen Gadol. And the entire nation was saved because of things they used to do. Did you ever do anything that was worth it? Did you ever do anything that anyone's going to be saved well? If you, if you didn't, it's time to do it. It's time. We got to get started. How, how long are you thinking? 500 years? It's time to get started. What are you, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70? It's time to get started now? So, we see already we're not even halfway through the parasha. We're learning Musar in every verse. You feel like a fish in a, in a bowl. Everybody's looking at you like, what are they doing in there? God bless. So the Mishnayin Avot, the Mishnayin Avot, we did most of it, but we still have a little bit left. So we'll read the Mishnah again, and then go over the parts that we didn't go over. 
עשרה דברים נבראו בערב שבת בין השמשות ואלו הן פי הארץ, פי הבאר, פי האתון והקשת, והמן והמטה והשמיר, הכתב והמכתב והלוחות, ויש אומרים אף המזיקין וקבורתו של משה ואלו של אברהם אבינו, ויש אומרים אף צבת בצבת עשויה. Translation Ten things were created on Shabbat Eve at twilight, meaning Friday night. And they are the mouth of the earth, mouth of the earth being the mouth of the earth that opened up and swallowed Korach and the 250 rabbis that followed him, which is one of the three openings of Gehenom in this world, according to Rashid Chochmah and the Gemara and the Zohar. Second, The mouth of the well, this is the well of Miriam that followed Am Yisrael and provided them water on her, based on her schut, her merit, for 40 years. The mouth of Bil'am's donkey. Bil'am's donkey rebuked Bil'am, telling him that obviously he's going in the wrong direction. One of the major lessons that we learned from here is that Hashem controls nature, meaning that Nothing is above and beyond Hashem. He can make, just like He made us speak, He can make a donkey speak. There's no difference. He can make a rock speak. A nature and Hashem are one and the same. The second thing we learn is, a Musar that I understand from it, it's very simple, is that if someone is telling you the truth, it doesn't matter who they are. Meaning, even if a donkey came over here and told you, listen, Hashem said, keep Shabbat. It doesn't make a difference that he's a donkey. It's the truth. You have a source. It's written in the Torah. The fact that you're a donkey is your problem. The fact that it's truth, it's my problem. Next, the rainbow. The rainbow is something that Hashem brought to the world after the Mabul from Noah as a sign that he doesn't want to destroy the world again like he did. And he's not going to destroy the world the way he did. At the time of Noah, but nonetheless, we read about this every single Friday and Saturday, where it says, Vashem la Mabul Yashav. Hashem sat there while the Mabul happened, meaning Hashem destroyed the world once before. Doesn't necessarily mean that he won't do it again. If we do tshuva, Bezat Hashem will be fine. If we don't, we won't be fine. So don't think. Just because a lot of people are violating Hashem's Torah, He's going to change the Torah for you. Just like He destroyed the world in the past, Hashem and can happen again. We don't want it to. We want it to be a good thing. But the point being is that we read this every Shabbat. Next, manna. The manna bread which we got from Hashem in the uh, desert for 40 years. Parnassah literally came from Shemaim. This is written in our Mishnah to remind us that until this day, 3,300 years later, Parnassah is still coming from Shemaim, just in different form. Just in different form. Anyone that thinks that they are making their own Parnassah, they're making their own money, they're the reason they made more money in the market, they're the reason they have more money in the real estate, they're the reason they have an invention or this or that, they obviously have not learned this Mishnah thorough enough because they think they're actually contributing anything to their Parnassah. The more you understand 
what this Mishnah says, the more you realize that you literally contribute nothing. It's all Hashem. It's not 99% Hashem and 1% us. It's 100% Hashem. He's just making you do something to make it look realistic. But in reality, it's all Hashem. Everything's Hashem. The more you give Hashem the honor that He's the one that's making it all, the more He wants to give you. The more you think you're doing it, He says, okay, you're on your own now. Let's see what you can do now. Good luck. Steve Jobs had billions of dollars. Billions and billions of dollars. And he was also an atheist. So right before he died, Hashem brought him to the top. Meaning he had the most. He, he, he succeeded in Olam Azeh to the highest level he ever did before. All of the naysayers and the enemies that he ever had said, oh, he's a genius. The haters said he's a genius. All the banks that didn't want to lend the money at the earlier part of his career wanted to throw money at him. Don't even give it us back. Just take it from us and tell people you took it. All the investors that wanted to sue him couldn't wait just to see him a picture of him on, in the news. Why? Why? He's like a Mashiach for them. And with all the billions and billions of dollars, Hashem said, oh, wait, wait. Aren't you an atheist, Steve? You're an a- Oh, okay, you're on your own now. You're on your own. All the billions couldn't buy one liver. All the billions couldn't buy one liver. Not two, not three, not four. One liver. So as soon as that liver had cancer, bye-bye, Steve. Bye-bye. Thank you for the iPhone. Bye-bye, Steve. What do you think? You, uh, every time you have an iPhone, it's like a Kaddish. You do Kaddish for, for Steve. What? You want to be an atheist? Good luck to you. That's a reality, Rabotai. It's not being mean. It's a reality. You want to be an atheist? Hashem says, okay, I'll bring you all the way to the top before I bring you down. Why? You need, when you need me, I'll tell you, hey, you didn't believe in me until now. You didn't believe in me until now. Okay, so you're on your own. What do you need? A, a deliver? All right, go buy one. What do you have? 10, 20 billion dollars? Go buy one. Go. No? Go. Go buy one. Go buy two. Go buy three. Go buy four. Go buy five. You can't buy it. Why? Money's not good. They don't take cash? They don't take billions? What happened? This Rabotai is a reality. It's no different than us if we don't do what Hashem says. It's no different than us if we change and turn Hashem into Loya Kesef. We think that uh, our relationship with God is based on money. The reality, Rabotai, is, is if your relationship with Hashem is based on money, you're no different than Steve. Next, the staff. What staff? The staff of Moshe Rabbeinu. The prophet of all prophets. Hashem already had him in mind and a Mashiach in mind at the time of creation. The staff had the ten plagues on it, the Rashi Tevot of the ten plagues. It also had Hashem's name of Meforash, his, his, his name of the Torah, where every single time a plague was implemented, all Moshe needed to do was look at the name of Meforash, look at the plague, and you have yourself... A miracle, something supernatural. 
Now this staff itself also defied nature. Why? You couldn't just pick it up just because you were strong. You couldn't just pick it up just because you were muscular. You couldn't just pick it up just because you found it. You couldn't pick it up just because you had money. You had to have merit in order to pick up this stick. Not just because it was 672 pounds, according to the Midrash, but because if you did not, if Hashem did not want you to pick it up, you were not able to move it. And that's why the, uh, the staff was buried in the Sadeh, in the uh, field of Itro, for many, many years. Because all of the Giborim, all of the heroes from that generation, tried taking it out, and no one can take it out. Which, by the way, that's where the Goim got their story of Arthur where he takes the sword out of the stone, all those shtiyot that they created, that's from our Torah. That's from our Torah. Anything that's any good in this world must have a source of the Torah. Must have a source of the Torah. If you remember, I told you guys there's a source in the Torah, even for the song that uh, my, uh, my daughter likes, if you're happy and you know it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. It's also in the Torah, by the way. In the prophet Ezekiel, only difference is the Goim used to sing it when the Jews would die. And it was actually be if uh, something happened uh, when, when someone died, say Allah, meaning Hashem uh, But it's also by the prophet uh, Ezekiel we see it. Point being is, if it's any good, it must have a source in the Torah. Must. If it doesn't have a source in the Torah, it's not good. Next, the Shamir worm. We just talked about this special worm was literally an example of how the entire world was created only for Am Yisrael. Why? There's no other purpose for this worm other than to build the Bet HaMikdash, to make the Choshen for the, for the Kohen Gadol, to make all the tools for the Bet HaMikdash and for the Torah itself. That's the only use that this worm ever had. Once there was no use for it, once we didn't have a Bet HaMikdash, the worm disappeared. Next, the script, meaning the Hebrew alphabet, the Sfat Kodesh, the code for this entire world of how Hashem created the world itself. With the Aleph Bet. How He created the world by first creating the Torah, writing the Torah, black fire on white fire. And then He saw what's written in the Torah and use that as a blueprint to create the world not the opposite not created the world and then the Torah but the Torah and then the world meaning he wrote the Torah and he says oh the Torah has a rule of kosher okay so I'll make kosher fish and non-kosher fish kosher animals and non-kosher animals kosher birds and non-kosher birds oh the Torah has tarat mishpacha okay so I'll make one gender that's male and one gender that's female and the female will have a time of the month where she is impure to her husband. She's pure to the rest of the world, meaning she could shake hands with her sisters, she could kiss her mother, she could kiss her kids, she could hug them, no problem. But the husband, don't even touch the finger. Don't even touch the finger. The Gemara says there was one guy that was a Tamit Chacham, and he died really young. And his wife couldn't deal with it. She said, ah, doesn't the Torah say that if you learn Torah, it protects you? And she went to the Talmudim Chachamim. She said, no, doesn't the Torah say that the uh, 
Torah protects him. Look, my husband died. He's 30 years old. How did he die? No, explain it to me. Explain it to me. And she's talking with full emotion. It's in the Gemara. Real story. Says, no, explain it to me. Says in the Torah, you learn Torah protects you. My husband died. No, how do you explain it? How do you explain it? They go, Measures for measure in Hashem. What's measure for measure? Tamit Chacham, Tzadik. We don't know how Hashem does what He does. We don't know what He did, what He didn't do. But we know for sure Hashem has His reasons. She wouldn't take the answer. She kept going from Yeshiva to Yeshiva. You know, people hear these things, they feel bad. It's not only feeling bad for the woman, but it also serves as an Amalek. Why? Creates doubts in people. Maybe Hashem made a mistake doesn't exist but Amalek makes you think it does oh look why does bad things happen to good people maybe Hashem is not paying attention why did if Hashem is such a amazing God and he created the world how come the Holocaust happened that's the most common question in the world the ridiculous part is that it's written in the Torah exactly why it happened you make sins Hashem says I'll bring you a Holocaust and he even writes that the Holocaust will have a symbol. What symbol? Eagle. The Romans had an eagle. The Nazis had an eagle. Haman had an eagle. It's not a secret. You want more? Gemara, Masechet Megillah, page 6b. Starts at the end of 6a and then it's the first few lines of 6b. The Gemara gives us a nevoah for all of those people that think that just a bunch of rabbis that don't know anything wrote the Gemara. They didn't have Ruach HaKodesh. They didn't know the future. Well, the Gemara was written almost 2,000 years ago. And this specific Gemara was written 2,500 years ago. What does it say? Germania is Edom. And if you would give it the power, meaning if Hashem would allow them, they would destroy the entire world. Who's Germania? Germania is Germany. What's the problem? Well, okay, great. So you have Germany in the Torah. What's the big deal? The problem was is that Germany didn't exist when the Gemara was written. If you look at the U.S. archives or you look at Wikipedia or you look at Google or you look at wherever you want to look at, you look at history, Germany wasn't created. The Germany as a country, forget the Nazi Germany. Germany as a country was only created or founded by 300 barbarian nations almost a thousand years after this Gemara was written. And Nazi Germany, almost 2,000 years after this Gemara was written. But what does the Torah say? Germania of Edom will destroy the world if Hashem would only allow them. And how will this Germania of Edom be founded? 300 different princes will come together. How did the U.S. archives describe the, the founding of Germany? 300 different barbarians came together. Written in the Torah, Rabotai, where was God during the Holocaust? He made it. He wrote, it's going to happen if you do such and such. There's no questions. The Torah was a blueprint. Torah was a blueprint for Hashem saw there's a law and then he implemented it into the world. He created something based on this law. Next, a mikhtav, the inscription. There was a special tool that he used to write the tablets of the Ten Commandments. 
the Gemara in Masechet Megillah, page 2b, says that where do we see that this was a special tool? When the Ten Commandments were on the tablets, we saw that this was something supernatural. And the reason why is because the engravement was so unique that you were able to see the Ten Commandments as if it was just in front of you, regardless of which position you looked at it from. In front, it was in front. Side, it was, it was, it was in front. It didn't matter which way, you would always look at it as if it was right in front of you. Second thing is, the letters themselves were completely engraved through the actual stone or the safrinon. But also that means that the letters mem and samech, mem sofit and samech, were literally, since not, no stone were holding them in place, they were literally floating in the air. Next, the tablets themselves, the luchot, the first set were created before Shabbat during the first six days. The second set, after Moshe Rabbeinu broke the first set because Am Yisrael sinned. The second set, Moshe, excuse me, Moshe Rabbeinu engraved. But he put the first set in the Arona Kodesh. Meaning that in the first Bet HaMikdash, the Arona Kodesh had the first set and the second set of Luchot Abrit, meaning we actually literally had something that Hashem Himself wrote in the Arona Kodesh. But before this, the first Bet Hamikdash was destroyed, the uh, Chachamim say the ground swallowed it and hid the Arona Kodesh, which also had the manna bread. It also had the staff of Arona Kohen that grew uh, almonds. Next is Mazikin. Mazikin, we talked about last week, was a very interesting shiur about the destructive spirits, the demons. Now, small thing to add about that, a lot of people tell me the same thing all the time, and no matter how much I try to explain to people, people just seem to not understand. So I'll be as, 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 a, as clear as I can possibly be. There is a growing epidemic today of foolishness. Just like cancer grows, so does foolishness. The Torah says there's no such thing as suffering without sin. There's no such thing. If you're suffering, that means you made a sin. If a, if a leaf wants to fall off of a tree, it has to ask Hashem for permission. It has to ask God for permission. Meaning, nothing happens without God signing off on it. Nothing. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. 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 But even this? Yes, even that. But even that? Even that. Any, nothing. Nothing happens without Hashem signing off that it's allowed to happen. Not a single oxygen cell can enter your lungs without Hashem saying, allowed. Not a single atom is allowed to spin without Hashem spinning it. Where a single dollar will enter your pocket, digitally or actually, without Hashem signing it. Not a single flat tire will ever happen to you, unless Hashem said, aloud. There's no suffering without sin. Now many people have, both Jews and non-Jews, have an issue where they go to sleep, and then 
they wake up, but they can't move. They wake up out of the they wake up out of sleep, but they can't move, and they feel like they're partially dreaming, but they're partially awake. It's called sleep paralysis. Now, this is not one or two people. This is millions and millions of people. Jews and non-Jews. Now, if you're just awake, no big deal. If you're awake and you can't move, it's kind of scary. Why? You feel like you're, just, you're crippled. You feel like something is a, uh, you know, something's wrong. You just lost your ability to walk. You lost your ability to move your hands. You lost your ability to talk. I know this from experience. It's terrifying. But if that wasn't enough, that wasn't enough to, to, to trouble you, sometimes, sometimes, you made enough sins that Hashem sends somebody to the room and you can see them or feel them and you feel like you have company. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you simply can feel it. You feel like somebody else is in a room and it's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not the kids, it's somebody else. That somebody else is not from this world. If you got the merit, or if you call it a merit, to see it, whoa, 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 wow. You're going to have one hell of a night. And sometimes that, uh, that creature is not a big fan of yours. That's sometimes I'm, I'm actually understating it. It's all the time. He doesn't like you too much. Why? Because many times, very common for that, whatever you want to call it, it's mazikin, such choking you and tries to kill you. Now, this is not something I'm making up. This is scientifically proven. Millions of people are dealing with this right now as we speak. It's an actual condition. If you haven't had it, you're very, very lucky. If you had, you know exactly what I'm talking about and you're scared as we speak for it to happen again. This is a very real condition. There is, it's not because of any other reason other than the fact that you have made some pretty big sins. And Hashem is telling you, it's time for you to do tshuva. Jew or non-Jew, the sins are coming to kill you. Your sins, your creations, they're sick of you. What kind of sins? Sex crimes. Wasting seed, being the number one, being promiscuous, being number two. All of those things, they're coming to visit you. Abba, I'm here. I mean, how come you didn't give me a body? How come you didn't give me a body, Abba? Where's my body? Where's my body, Abba? Look, no body. Where's, where's my body, Abba? Oh, you want to give me a body? Okay. Ah, start choking you. Oh, sounds like fun. It's a real thing. Goyim and, and Jews are dealing with this. People tell me, no, you're machmir, you're stringent. You're str it's a real thing. Ask people. Go online. Type in sleep paralysis. What do they see? What do they experience? This is what they experience. Why? Wasting seed, being promiscuous. You want to act like Sodom and Gomorrah? You'll see what happens. You don't have to wait for Gehenom anymore. You don't have to wait. How do I know this? I dealt with it. I saw it. This is not a story. I didn't read this in books. Do you understand? Reason why I do Shurim is not because I just like Torah. I love Torah. But it's not just because of that. If I just like Torah, I just go into my little cave, close it, do not enter, make sure that I get coffee once a day, and I'm finished. 
Rabotai, the reason why I give Shuet Torah is very, very simple. I know how bad it looks on the other side. And if you don't do tshuva, you will too. Difference is whether you're going to have a chance like I did. I don't play that kind of game. I got one chance. That's more than enough. Thank you very much, Hashem. Who says you're going to get another chance? Tshuva is for everyone. Jews, non-Jews, religious, not religious, everyone. Or you can want to be like Steve Jobs. Whichever one you want, whichever comes first. I'm saying it in the way that I am is because the answer is very simple. If you don't do tshuva, these things happen. It's a disaster. It's not in dreams. It's not in books. Hashem is bringing the other world into this world to make you decide. You with me or not? It's not going to remain mystical and far away from you forever. There are more near-death experiences today than any other time in history. There are more people that remember their previous incarnation than any other time in history. We're talking about millions of people remember who they were in their previous life, documented by scientists, not by religious people, scientists. Remember, little children, remember who they were in their previous life. Some are Jews, most of them are not. More people died and came back and told you exactly the same story. They saw a light, they saw this, they saw that. They saw some torture too. Not all of them talk about that part. More people are seeing things that are unusual in in the world. Moving things, different strange things that are not natural. Hashem is making you decide. It's not for show. It's not for the movies. Reality is much scarier than the movies. The question is, how many signs are you going to need? How many signs? Next question, next issue is Moshe Rabbeinu's grave. Moshe Rabbeinu perfected himself to the highest level of any other human being. The Rambam in, uh, in a um, Shmona Prakim says that what's the difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and all the other prophets? They all wanted Am Yisrael to do tshuva. They're all tzaddikim. They all learned Torah. What's the difference? How come Moshe Rabbeinu, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem face to face? What, Avraham Avinu wasn't good? Yaakov Avinu wasn't good. What's the problem? Is it lit in the back? The blue? Do you see blue? Yes? Blue? Yes is already right. Yes? No? You don't see it? Give eyes? The eyes see a color? You think so? I don't wash it. Oh, seeing things, that's for later. Everything you see is real. So Moshe Rabbeinu's grave, Hashem hid it. Why? Moshe Rabbeinu was an Ish Kadosh. And he did not want Moshe's grave, Moshe's name, Moshe's story, Moshe's history to be desecrated. 
He wanted to make sure that Moshe Rabbeinu, who perfected himself as a human being, remains so, and no one taints the name like they do and continue to do on a daily basis with different tzaddikim, whether it be the Lubavitcher Rebbe that many people have turned him into an idol, or Rabbi Nachlem Ibreslev that many people have turned into an idol, or other tzaddikim that people love, but to such a high extent that they've turned them into idols. The issue of idol worship, while we think it's not such a big deal in our generation, the reality is that it's a much bigger deal than you can imagine. And the reason why, the Mishnah says that the Masechet Abu Dazarah, the tractate of Abu Dazarah that Avraham Avinu had was a thousand times bigger than ours. A thousand times. A thousand times more extensive than ours. And the reality is, most of us do not know what idol worship is. Most of us, when I tell you idol worship, you're thinking it's some statue. Pray to a statue, pray to a cow, pray to... J.C. Penny, that's what you think idol worship is. You're right, but only partially. Only partially. Yaakov Avinu cried hysterical for over 20 years. Why? His son Yosef, they told him he died, but unlike the promise that Hashem put into nature, which is that you will little by little feel less pain for someone that died after a year, Yaakov Avinu did not stop feeling the pain. He felt the pain after 20 years the same as he felt it when he first found out a day later. And he couldn't get over it. He loved his son Yosef more than anything you could possibly imagine. When his brothers, when his other, the other sons, the other Shvatim came to Yaakov, and told them, Od Yosef Chai, our brother Yosef is alive, and he is the viceroy of Egypt. Yaakov said, I'm ready to die with him. Meaning, all I need to do is just see him and I'll die. It's fine. I'm finished. Finished. I've achieved everything I've ever wanted. It's such a great gift. I love. Just let me see him once that he's the same Yosef that left my house 20 years ago. Still a tzaddik. And I'm okay to die. I'm ready to die. After Yudah builds a uh, yeshiva in, uh, in, in a uh, Goshen, Yaakov Avinu goes down to Egypt with 70 souls and their big meeting with his son Yosef takes place. And the Torah says, Yosef hugged Yaakov. But Yaakov didn't say he hugged Yosef. Didn't you say moments ago, a paragraph ago, all you need to do is see him and you will to die. You loved him so much just to see him. He said, enough for me. It's Olam Finished. 
Finished, I'm finished. I don't need anything else in the world. Hashem, you're the best. You're the best. All the suffering was worth it just to see my son one time. Tadik finished. Finished. You see your son? He doesn't even give him a hug. Lama. Lama, Rabotai, Lama. I heard this originally from Abnisim again, and if you understand it, Ashrecha. At the moment, Yaakov saw Yosef, he felt such an overwhelming passion, such an overwhelming happiness, such an extraordinary feeling of gratitude, and such an extraordinary passion to love his son. He was looking to squeeze him until all the love came out as little teddy bears. And he stopped. He said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Now you're doing Shema Yisrael. Well, you couldn't do it after. You couldn't do it before. You're only obligated to do it in the morning and at night. What are you doing now? Shema Yisrael now? What are you doing Shema Yisrael now? Go hug your son. You haven't seen him in 20 years. Why are you doing Shema Yisrael now? Your son's hugging you. doing Shema Yisrael. What's Shema Yisrael? What are you doing? Yaakov Avinu understood what Avodazarai is, Rabotai. Yaakov Avinu said, oh, this feeling that I have to see my son, it's too much. It's love that does not belong anywhere else other than between me and Hashem. It only belongs between me and Hashem. You're not allowed to love anything. You're not allowed to love anything like that other than Hashem. If we understood what Avodah Zarah is, we'd realize it's still alive and well. Why? Because every day we love something more than Hashem. We love money more than Hashem. We love our spouses more than Hashem. We love our kids more than Hashem. We love baseball more than Hashem. We love basketball more than Hashem. We love the news more than Hashem. The newscaster more than Hashem. What don't we love more than Hashem? Hashem and Hashem. When do we even have time to love Hashem? Everybody says, no, love Hashem, love Hashem. When do you have time to love Hashem? You love everybody else. Yaakov Avinu understood love does not belong anywhere else other than for Hashem. So if you're going to start learning Torah and say, oh, no, no, I want to learn about loving Hashem. Okay, start with this. Can you do it? First, you have to fear Hashem. Then we can start talking about loving Hashem because we have no concept in this generation what it means to love Hashem. Loving Hashem means you have no other feelings to anything else that are even close to the relationship you have with Hashem. Not even close, not even for your own kids that came out of your own body. You tell every mom, do you love your kids? What do you mean you love my kids? It's like my arm, it's my leg. Wait, you, you ask yourself if you love your arm? You ask yourself if you love your leg? No, it's part of your body. Okay, you love Hashem on your kids? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rabotai, you're making a mistake. Hashem comes first. Somebody didn't like my video that I made, a clip, where I told the woman that she's sinning by living with her parents because she's living with her mom, her real mom, but someone that's not her dad, and that someone that's not her dad is not Jewish. I told her, you're not allowed to live in that house. And some of you were in that shiur. And one guy started, you know, said, oh, listen, 
I don't think you're right. It says in the Ten Commandments, you have to honor your parents. You're not allowed to honor your parents if honoring your parents is going to desecrate Hashem. If honoring your parents is going to go in front of Hashem, you're not allowed. Forget it's not, you shouldn't. You're not allowed. Hashem comes first. Hashem comes before your parents. Hashem comes before your wife, before your husband, before your children, before anything. Before you. That's loving Hashem. And that's why we say every single day, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. What does it mean? The Mishnah in Avot tells us, we learned it a few months ago. Be careful when you read Shema Yisrael. Why be careful? Why? Don't read it. Be careful with everything else. No. No. With Shema Yisrael, be careful. Why? You have to understand what it means. And you love the Shem. You have to be careful to know what it means. Why? If you understand what it means, you'll understand the entire Torah. If you understand what it means, and you love Hashem, you understand the entire Torah. Why? Nothing else comes other than Hashem. That's it. Hashem's first. Hashem's first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh. Nothing else other than Hashem in your life. You understand the entire Torah? How many of us are there? I'm telling this to myself. How many of us are there? We love everything more than Hashem, unfortunately. We love everything so much we don't have time for Hashem sometimes. Moshe understood this very well and he made Hashem everything. That's why Hashem Barak called Moshe, Moshe Avdi. Moshe, my servant. Why? He had no more personal choice. He had no more personal desire. He had no more personal preference. No more love for anything else other than Hashem. What do you want to do today? What does Hashem want? What do you want to do tomorrow? What does Hashem want? What do you think? What does Hashem think? The answer by default was, what does Hashem want? What does Hashem think? What does Hashem, Hashem? That's how you become the perfect human being. It's hard. It's hard to become perfect human being. But we're obligated to try. We're obligated to try. We're not obligated to be. We're obligated to try. You get paid for the effort. So Hashem did not want to ruin this. He didn't want people to ruin it. To go to Moshe Rabbeinu's grave and start praying to Moshe as if Moshe was God. When in reality, Moshe sacrificed his life more than anyone else in history to such an extent that he sacrificed his own opinion. You know what it means to sacrifice your own opinion? We're willing to sacrifice money. We're willing to sacrifice marriage. We're willing to sacrifice kids. We're willing to sacrifice jobs. We're willing to sacrifice anything. But your opinion... What do you mean? That's pretty much I'm sacrificing myself. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Can you do it? Moshe did. That's what Moshe is, Moshe. And Hashem did not want people that are fools and don't know what the difference between praying to Hashem and using the merits of the tzaddikim and praying to an idol. 
like many people are doing today they go to graves they pray to the grave they go to Rabbi Shimon they pray to Rabbi Shimon they go to the oil and they pray to the Rebbe the Lubavitcher Rebbe they go to different Uman they pray to Rabbi Nachman what is this Stuyot what is idol worship it's a hundred percent idol worship Rabotai a hundred percent idol worship but idol worship is not just with rabbis it's not just with idols idol worship is also with money when all you can think and talk about is money you are worshiping money that's why after the Ten Commandments in Parashat Yitro, Hashem gave us the commandments I'm the only God that took you out of Egypt don't use my name in vain don't have any other gods observe Shabbat respect your parents gave us the Ten Commandments after he gave us all the Ten Commandments you see at the end of Parashat Yitro, what does it say oh and don't worship Eloah Kesef Eloah Zav don't worship other gods of money and gold what do you mean did you just tell me that in the Ten Commandments why are you repeating it why don't you repeat Shabbat again why don't you repeat don't steal again why don't you repeat don't murder again why are you repeating don't worship the God of money and gold why because it's relevant to us because many people worship money much better than they serve God much better than they serve God they love money much more than they love God and they sell God for ten dollars they make promises they're all oh, gonna make a donation as soon as God gives me more money I'm gonna make a donation oh so you're, you're negotiating with God he has to give you so you give him like as if you're he's doing you're doing him a favor once he gives me I'll give him like it's not he didn't say in the Torah to the Prophet Oshea that he didn't say that all oh, everything is mine he didn't say that you skipped that verse in the Torah he didn't say everything is mine you're thinking that he has to give you and then you give or sometimes they promise and they don't do I had people like this miskinim poor people they have a ton of money it's the only thing they have they say no no I'm gonna donate I had a guy tell me no no listen just call me talk to me tell me some things I need to donate right now I need to donate 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 no I fell for it once or twice I usually don't make these appointments but this is a phone call I said how bad could it be 10 minutes so I called them 40 minutes we're talking anyone that knows me I don't usually have 40 minutes for anything if I didn't have Shabbat I wouldn't have 40 minutes for my kids or my wife Baruch Hashem for Shabbat 40 minutes a lot of time guy talks to me as yeah it's great all the answers he wants he got he is happy camper says yeah great listen I'm gonna write a check I'm gonna send something he doesn't say how much but he said he's gonna send so I said okay Baruch Hashem if anybody doesn't mind give me that uh, blue uh, cover for the thing because the battery is dying for some reason don't all run just one guy can do it so anyway after we have the conversation how much did he send a check zero he never sent it but he got the meeting thank you he got the meeting he got the answers 
He also got the promise that he made, but he didn't send it. You know how many people like him are like this in the world? Forget about me. Who cares about me? Hashem sends Parnassah anyway. Hashem sends so much Parnassah, everybody's convinced I'm a millionaire still. Even though I don't know how I'm going to make the rent, I'm still Hashem pays for it somehow. Hashem pays so well, people think I still have like at least 10, 20 million dollars hidden somewhere. They're convinced. Why? We live life better than them. I show them bank account, they think, no, it's for it. It's somebody else. No, there's no way. It doesn't make sense. Oh, Hashem, we're not worried. But people make a lot of promises, a lot of empty promises, and all they do is they build for themselves their own graves. You don't want to give, don't promise, don't say, be quiet. What do you think, you're impressing me with your money? You could write a check right now for $10 million. The only thing you're going to get is thank you. It's never going to be more than that, whether it's $10 million or $10. Everybody gets the same thank you. Everybody gets the same thank you. Nothing changes. You could ask the big ones and the no, it's the same thing. Why? All you decide to do is you decide to be a tool. That's it. Chazaku Baruch. What do you want me to do? It's not your money anyway. But when you make a promise, you say, no, yeah, I'm going to donate, and then you don't. Not to me. Forget to anybody else. You're building yourself your own grave. It's mamash, a very stupid thing to do. It's a very stupid thing to do. It doesn't make any sense. One second, technical difficulties. No, so it works or it doesn't work? There's a new battery we're trying out. doesn't seem like it's working. So, the important part of Abutai is to understand that when Hashem gives you something, there's a reason for it. If that something is good, Ashrecha. If that something is bad, also Ashrecha. Why? Hashem is trying to tell you, time to do tshuva. If you got something bad in your life, that means Hashem is talking to you. If Hashem only wanted to punish you, He wouldn't talk to you. He would bring you over there. Say, oh, you got some questions? Come, come. I'll answer for you. You have some doubts? Come. We'll have a one-on-one meeting. Some people have questions. Hashem says, no, you have questions? Come, I'll give you answers. There was a guy had a lot of questions. So, Rabbi Simi again said, answer the questions. He says to them, ah, you know, you're just brainwashing everybody. All the stuff you're saying. And Rabbi, again, Allah Shalom says, I knew just from the way he reacted, it bothered him. He got the answers. He didn't like it. He knew it's true. I said, you know, you are going to be the first one that does tshuva. Me? <laughs> I'm going to do tshuva when hair grows out of my hand. Over here, when hair grows out of my head, that's when I'll do tshuva. He says, Amen. Abnissimi again says, Amen. That's it. That's all he said. Amen. The night finished. Everybody went their way. Six months passed. Young man comes to Rabbi again's uh, office. People would come to the office regularly to his Bet Midrash. He sees a young guy with his head down, little beard. Seems like he's like a new Baal Tshuva. Nice guy, white shirt, ta, ta, ta. everything's good, but he looks shy, he looks like he's scared of his own shadow a little bit. His turn came up, yeah, yeah, okay, how are you? He goes, well, Rav, you remember me? He looks at him and goes, no, who are you? He goes, it's me, 
Mom, are you? What? Who are you? Me, me. Why are you? You remember six months ago you had a lecture and over there, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're the one that said that uh, the hair is going to grow out of your hand. He goes, yes. He goes, oh, how are you doing? Good. He goes, yes. He goes, how did it happen? He goes, it grew. He goes, what do you mean it grew? He goes, he shows him his hand, his hair in his hand. His hair in his hand, Rabotai, his hair in his hand. He goes, how'd you do this? He goes, later that night, later that night, I was on my motorcycle and I fell off the motorcycle. And the skin from my hand was peeled to such an extent that the only thing was showing was my bone. So at the hospital, they had to save something. They said, okay, let's take some skin from your buttocks. And put it over there so people don't see bone. You'll look like Robocop. So the problem is, this hair it didn't grow on my hand, but it grows over there, and now it's on my hand. So every day, every couple of days, he shaves over here, and he shaves over here too. You want answers? Hashem says, okay, no problem, give me answers. It's funny, but it's not funny. It's a funny story, but it's not funny. Why? It's us too. It's us too, Abutai. It's us too. It's us too. We have so many questions for Hashem. Hashem says, oh, you have questions? Come, come. Come, Tatale. Come, I have answers for you. Come. How much are you going to wait? How much are you going to wait? Now we finish the introduction. We'll finish the Mishnah. Ve'elo shel Avraham Avinu. The ram of Avraham Avinu. The ram of Avraham Avinu is not just a typical ram. The story of Akedat Yitzchak is a story like no other. To such an extent, the magnitude of it is saving Am Yisrael until this day. Most of us have read the Pasuk in our Tefillah and otherwise in the Torah where it says, Upachad Yitzchak. And Yitzchak was scared. What was Yitzchak scared of? Most people are going to answer. He's probably scared that his father was going to slaughter him. Why? He put him in the mountain. He says, listen, Yitzchak, you're the korban. You asked what about the korban? You're the korban. You're the sacrifice. I'm going to slaughter you. That's what most people would answer, myself included. You'd say, what was, what was the one time that Yitzchak Avinu was scared? To be the Korban. Wrong. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that when Yitzchak Avinu found out he's the Korban, he told his father Avram, Abba, tie me really tight with my hands behind my back and tie my legs to my hands so I don't move. So I'm, I'm a kosher Korban. And I don't create any tzar. I don't, I don't uh, create any... any, any Sorrow for you, and I don't get in your way, and I don't have a reflex to Hashem hit you and make a sin hitting my father. Yeah, but you're the Koban. You realize that, right? He realized it. He says, Abba, tie my hands to my legs to make sure I don't move. So I'm a kosher Koban. And make sure that my neck is sticking out. So it's a nice slit. What does it show you, Abutai? Scared? Zero scared. So when? When was it Pachad Yitzchak? When was it that Yitzchak Avinu was scared? 
When was he scared? He was scared, Rabotai, during a time when Yaakov and Esav came to get a blessing. And he realized that he gave the blessing to Yaakov. When Esav came, he realized that the first blessing wasn't to Esav, it was to Yaakov. It says he was upset. Why was he upset? Why was he upset? Because Yaakov fooled him. If he was upset that Yaakov fooled him, then later on he wouldn't give Yaakov even more blessings. Now why was he upset? He was upset, the Torah says, because he saw Gehenom below him. After, ya- after Yaakov got the blessing and walked away, Esav came back and he realized Esav came for a blessing. Yitzhak Avinu saw Gehenom below him. What does it mean Gehenom below him? He realized he's made a mistake his entire life. He was wrong about Esav. And he was scared to death that he displeased the Shem. Not that he made a sin. He didn't make a sin. It's Yaakov Avinu, it's Yitzhak Avinu, it's Avraham Avinu. There was no sins. What sins? For a second, I was wrong about my own son. I thought he was worthy of a uh, blessing. Apparently, he was not even worthy of a blessing. A person can live their entire life thinking that they're right. And then see the opening of Gehenom and realize, oh, I was wrong. There's no fear like that fear. There's no fear like the fear where you first realize, I'm wrong. I'm wrong about this. I'm wrong about this. When you thought you built everything you have on this one idea, whether it was a relationship or it was an investment idea or it was a business or it was a whatever it was, a lifestyle, and you just got the shock of your life. You're wrong. If you're not scared, you're not normal. If you're not scared, you're not normal. Why? Because the first thing you realize, my whole life was a mistake. My whole plan was a mistake. There's a cost to every mistake. There's no mistake that's free. Every single person that has a little bit of sechel, a little bit of mind, knows that every mistake costs something. Every mistake has a price. As soon as you realize you lived a whole life full of mistakes, if you're not scared, you're not normal. A smart person realizes it before it's too late. Yaakov Avinu got the blessing and Yitzhak Avinu got scared. Why? I made a mistake about Esav. So he wasn't scared from the Akedah. At the Akedah, he told his father, no problem. Do what's necessary to please Hashem. After Hashem says to Avraham, don't touch the boy. Now I know you fear me. Yaakov, I mean, uh, Avram says, yeah, but I'm already here and my son is already ready. Maybe we should make a little slit. So it's not a bracha levatala. We didn't just waste our, you know, we're doing something for Hashem. 
And that's why Hashem said it twice, don't touch him. He said, Avraham, Avraham. He said his name twice. Twice he said it. Why? Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Because you wanted to do it. So I'm already here. No, it's not, it's not what Hashem wants. Do you think that as soon as, as, as he got off the uh, bill over here, when the Hashem said, don't touch him, Yitzhak Avinu was excited? Oh, let's go, let's go. No, Yitzhak Avinu was still saying, no, no, Abba, do it, do it, Abba, do it. Do it for Hashem, Abba, do it. The whole time that this is happening, the Satan can't wait for Avram to kill Yitzchak. Why? As soon as he kills Yitzchak, he kills Am Yisrael. As soon as he kills Am Yisrael, there's no Mashiach. So he's doing everything possible to get this to happen. One of the things that he did is that there was a ram. A ram that was created before twi- during twilight, before Shabbat. Hashem created a special ram. What's this ram? This is the ram that was supposed to go for the Akedah. And the ram ran to the Akedah. What happened? Satan caught him. Satan caught him. And he tried running away from the Satan the whole time. Until he got caught into a fence, into a uh, bunch of uh, pieces of wood over there. And he couldn't free himself. He couldn't free himself, so that allowed Avraham to get close to the point where he almost killed his own son. But then after Hashem told him, don't touch him, all of a sudden Avraham noticed that just a few feet away, is the ram that Hashem has prepared for him already over 2,000 years, waiting for him. Now after he replaced Yitzchak with the ram, the Torah tells us that every single piece of that ram was used. Not a single piece was wasted. Every single piece was used. The first one, the, the horn, the first side of the horn was used as a shofar. The ashes became a base to the altar, the Bet HaMikdash. The sinews became the strings for King David's special ten-string lair. He had a special tool, a music equipment that doesn't exist anymore. David HaMelech had an extra note, by the way. David Melech had an extra note we don't have anymore. With his music, he reached Shemaim. We'll talk about details of that later on. But he had another note in music we don't have anymore. One of the, the, the strings came from the same ram. The skin. The skin of this ram became the cloak for Eliyahu Navi. The smaller of the two horns became the shofar that we had, that we used in Mount Sinai when the Torah was given. The Torah was given, they blew the shofar. Where's the shofar come from? 
this ram but there's one other there's one other horn it's another shofar who's going to use it Mashiach Tzitkenu Mashiach Tzitkenu is going to use that shofar So here we see that Torah doesn't waste a single word, doesn't waste anything. Now, how do we connect this to the parasha? Because of your schut, you have many schuyot. I had a chidush mamash right today, today, fresh, live. A lot of people ask me about these rabbinical mitzvot. Should we do them? Should we not do them? What's the big deal? What's the not? What's the this? What's the that? So I want to connect to this Mishnah, to the Parashat, to the question. How's that? Like Hashem planned it all along. Provided the, the cure before the ailment. Now, in the Parashat, Parashat Tetzaveh, of this week, chapter 29, verse 18, it says, mizbecha olahu says and you shall cause the entire ram to go up and smoke upon the altar the ram became a korban it's an elevation offering to Hashem and it's a satisfying aroma a fire op- offering to Hashem. And you and it continues in verse 19, and you shall take the second ram. Aaron and his sons shall le- shall lean their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall slaughter the ram. You got me so far? So the aisle that we talked about in the Mishnah, there's also an aisle in the parasha. Why are the two connected? It says there's a mitzvah connected with the two, the korban. But to do a korban, one of the things that you had to do is you had to samach, you had to press on top of the idol's head. You have to press on its head. It's part of the korban. And that's exactly what it says here. You have to lean your hands on the head of the ram. The Gemara in Masechet Chagiga and also Masechet Shabbat discusses this issue. The question is, Rabotai Karim, in the Gemara Masechet Chagiga, page 16b. Are you allowed, are you allowed to lean your hands on top of the ram's head on Shabbat and on Yom Tov? Why? Because when you lean your hands, it's like riding him. And that's not allowed on Shabbat. So it's clear the halacha is not allowed to do it on Shabbat. Why? Because you're leaning on him, and that's like riding him. Not allowed to ride him on Shabbat. Okay, what about Yom Tov? There's a little more leniency. Yom Tov. Ah, it says Yom Tov is like Shabbat. Yeah, but how are we going to bring the korbanot? How are we going to bring the korbanot? We have to lean on it. It's part of the korban. If you don't lean on him. It's not a full korban. 
So the Gemara in both Masechet Shabbat and Masechet Hagiga debate it. Why? It's a rabbinical mitzvah. It's not a biblical mitzvah. It's a rabbinical mitzvah. Meaning, whether you're allowed to do it or not, Torah says you're allowed, but the rabbi said, no, it's going to look like maybe you're leaning on it and maybe you're writing it. You shouldn't be allowed. And the other one says, no, no, but it's allowed. No, no, it's not allowed. No, allowed. No, allowed. It's a rabbinical mitzvah. And they debated it. How long did they debate it? Over 200 years. Over a 200-year debate. Five generations. Five-generation debate that started with the Zugot, beginning with Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi ben Yochanan, and completing with Hillel and Shammai over 200 years later. Until they concluded, not allowed. Now why am I mentioning this to you? The Gemara says the following. Amar Av Shemen Bar Abba Amar Abi Yochanan Rav Shemen Bar Abba said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, "Leolam al teeshevut kala beinecha." Never let a rabbinic prohibition concerning Shabbat or Yom Tov seem minor to you. Shares smicha ena elam mishum shevut, for the smicha, meaning the leaning on top of the of the ram or the cow or whatever it is, involves nothing more than a rabbinic prohibition. I'll explain what all this means in a moment. And yet the greats of the generations disputed each of them for about five successive generations. And pshita, it's obvious. What's obvious? That the smicha involves only a rabbinically forbidden activity. So why does Rabbi Yochanan emphasize this, that it's uh, such a big deal? It says, Shavut mitzvah et Says it, he needs to tell you what is he trying to teach you? He's trying to tell us here that the rabbinic prohibitions regarding Shabbat that forbid activities are otherwise mitzvot somewhere else. Meaning, the smicha, the leaning on top of the ram, is actually a part of the mitzvah of the korban. But they said it's not allowed on Shabbat. Why is not allowed? Why is not allowed? To remind us. That even though it's a mitzvah elsewhere, Shabbat is a mitzvah of, of its own. It's a different world. It's a different island. Even though it's a mitzvah somewhere else, here, not allowed. Even though tzedakah is a mitzvah everywhere else during the week, Shabbat, not allowed to give tzedakah. You're allowed to say that you're going to give tzedakah down the road. You're allowed to plan a good deed. You're allowed to plan the tzedakah. But to write a check on Shabbat, not allowed. To give cash on Shabbat, not allowed. But it's a mitzvah elsewhere. Not allowed. Why? Shabbat is an island of its own. Just like the Bet HaMikdash, just like the Kohen Gadol. Now, the most important part of this specific issue is the following. For all of those people that always ask questions, myself included, about the rabbinical mitzvot, 
should we keep them should we not keep them is it stringent is it not stringent like you asked me before Rabutai. our laws are not like the u.s constitution where a bunch of people got together and they decided this shall be the law and if we don't like it a few years later we'll change it if it's not applicable to the generation we'll change it the torah is no such thing the torah is a single truth and to arrive at a single truth requires an enormous amount of digging digging yourself out of lies and fighting for the truth the rabbis did not just decide oh this yes this no this yes this no just because they liked it or just because they felt it was applicable just because it was easy for them or hard for them the rabbis fought for the truth tooth and nail day and night until they arrived at it the rabbinical mitzvah that most people have a problem with you only have a problem with them because you don't understand what it means for it to be a rabbinical mitzvah this single mitzvah to everybody in the room myself included seems like it's not such a big deal put your hands on the ram don't put your hands on the ram who cares does god really care if you put your hands on the ram He's already being slaughtered anyway. What's the difference? You put your hands on him. You don't put your hands on him. What's the difference? Just for that, they argued and debated for over 200 years. So what do you think? It was any less difficult to debate for any of the other laws that the rabbis gave you 2,000 years ago? When it's a rabbinical mitzvah, it's not just because some rabbi from a local Chabad house or Orthodox or modern Orthodox or some keilah from today's world decide, oh, this is good for us. We'll take that one. You know what? We'll take two if it's free. The holy rabbanim or the tanaim akdoshim, they did not just decide this is good, this is bad. They arrived at the truth even if it took them over two centuries. To arrive at this truth rabbinical mitzvot were much more difficult than the biblical ones because it required us to fight our own yetzerah to arrive at the truth it required each one of the tanaim to destroy their own yetzerah and eliminate any ego it was no longer who's right who's wrong the question was what's the truth why is it such a big deal why is it such a big deal because if you tell them this is allowed when in reality it's not it's the difference between life and death it's not oh he's wrong big deal okay so the trader that worked for the uh, big russian firm in 1996 long-term capital he over leveraged a little bit big deal some people lost money Okay, the market almost crashed, the economy almost crashed, but at the end of it all, it was still just money. Long-term capital, they called it. Almost ruined the whole world, but ah, big deal, just some money. No, Rabotai, that's even to that extent, it's just this world. The Tanaim were not fighting for this world. They were fighting for eternity. If they get it wrong... All of us could be expecting first-class tickets to Gan Eden, but in reality, we're going first-class to Gehenom. It's not just the responsibility of one person. 
It's a responsibility of an entire nation. We can't afford to get it wrong. So the rabbinical mitzvot were much, much more difficult. Much more difficult. And that's why when you see a rabbinical mitzvah, Hashem says the punishment for violating the rabbinical mitzvah is worse than punishment of a biblical mitzvah. Why? Biblical mitzvah of stealing. If you steal, you get caught. You have to pay double. Why? It's a biblical mitzvah. But still, that's the punishment. A rabbinical mitzvah? Rabbinical mitzvah. You decide that you're just going to go against the chachamim. No, you're not, you're not making websites against them. We're just not going to listen to them anymore. You're going to become your own rabbi. That Rabotai Karim, that person cannot be included in a minyan anymore. That's a person that has no share of the world to come. Why? You went against the rabbis. It's a rabbinical mitzvah only. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You decide you're not going to do blessings before you eat anymore. Nah, Hashem knows what I mean. Hashem knows that I'm grateful. He knows what I'm grateful, even though I ate as big as my head and I forgot to thank Him every time in my life. He knows. He knows I'm grateful. He knows. I'm not going to... I don't need to pray. Rabbi just made that up. You decide you're going to go against the Chachamim. Much worse punishment. That's why every time in the Torah when there's a rabbinical mitzvah, punishment is always the same. What is it? Death penalty. Every one of them. Death penalty. There's no lesser. Stealing. Biblical mitzvah. Pay some money back. Rabbinical mitzvah. Death penalty. Why? They fought for the truth for centuries. This is Hashem's top picks. These are His best soldiers. These are His best children. You're going against them? It's only a matter of time before you go against Him. And this leads us to the last part of the Mishnah. Tongues, some say tongues were created because they're made of tongues. Tongues, the special tool to hold hot metal for a smith. But in order to make a tongue, you need a tongue, because it's metal itself. So they figure that, you know, one of the uh, Gemarot says, oh, so the first one needed one. But then the Chachamim said in Gemara Maseret Psachim, page 54a, no, no, Hashem did not make a tongue, did not make this plier-looking type of thing. You can make it without it. How? Make a mold. Make a mold. Pour the metal in there. And that makes the first tongue. You don't need a tongue to make a tongue. Tiferet Israel says that he actually does believe that the original pair was created by Hashem prior to the first Shabbat. Because that specific one was going to be used to build the Bet HaMikdash. Now, do you really think it's just about a bunch of pliers? No. This is more of a philosophical question. 
many people ask before they do tshuva or even after they ask the question what came first the chicken or the egg if it's the chicken how did the chicken come because it comes from an egg first so in order for an egg to hatch a chicken has to sit on it and if something else sat on the chicken the egg would uh, if something else sat on the egg the egg would break so it must have been the chicken first but then how did the chicken come and you go back and forth in the atheist world you go back and forth same type of philosophical argument as this thing if the tongues are here and you need tongues to make tongues then Hashem must have made the first tongues So Rabbi Yehuda says the following. When people are going to use these philosophical arguments of, oh, with the chicken come, the chicken or the egg, tell them this is not about a chicken or about an egg. If you're asking a question about what started? What's the first cause? It's Hashem. It's Hashem. She say, so some heretic asked me the other day, says, yes, but why did Hashem? Who created Hashem? I said, it's not a starter question. It's a non-starter question. Why? If it's God, if God is God, He can't have a God. Because then that would be God. Yes, but who created God? No one. That's the point. That's why He's God. If God is God, He's the only God, there's nothing else. And that's why in Mount Sinai, Hashem opened the seven heavens and He says, Look, there's nothing else besides me. Nothing. If you're praying to a Buddha or to J.C. Penny or to Muhammad or to all the other shtuyot that people create, all you're doing is praying to nothing. If you're praying even to your Rebbe, you're making a mistake. There's nothing else besides me. And od milvado. Nothing else aside from Hashem. But who created Hashem? Nothing. No one. He is the creator. He's the initial cause. There was nothing before him. There's nothing now aside from him. There will not, there will not be anything ever before him. To understand that, you have to be God himself. Everything I just told you, whatever you understand is the most you'll ever be able to understand. To really truly understand what all of that means of how could it be nothing before or present or, or past and so on, you cannot understand. Why? It's not possible for a human being. It's not even possible for the angels. Why? Because that type of wisdom is divine. No. The angels are a creation of the divine. Now, to understand how much we don't understand is the following. Can you understand things that happened in the past? Yes. Why? Because you saw the whole picture. It happened. Uh, you picked up an egg. You dropped the egg. The egg dropped. It fell. 
broke. Can you understand things in the in the present? Yes, right now you're holding an egg, let's say, and you want to throw it at me. Fine, no problem, but you didn't throw it yet, Baruch Hashem. The point is, you understand that the egg is in your hand, and you could potentially do things with it. You could drop it, you could throw it, you could eat it, whatever you want to do. You understand things that are in the, in the present. Can you understand the future? To a certain extent. You understand that logically, certain things have a nature, they're part of nature, meaning if you take the egg and you throw it, the egg will leave your hand and go to a certain destination that you think it's going to get to. It may not get there, but according to logic, it should. Now, that's human logic. To understand how much we don't understand, you have to combine all three of them into a single thought. The past, the present, and the future all being simultaneously thought as if they're all the same. Meaning, there is no past, there is no present, there is no future. They're all the same exact thing. That's God. Past, present, future, all the same. There's no difference for him. For us, there is. For us, there is a past. Because the past is something we experienced. For us, there is a present. Why? Because we're living it. We're seeing it. You're seeing it. You're thinking it. Future is a thought that may or may not happen. For Hashem, everything is the same. That's not... What I just explained to you is the most you can possibly understand. So yes, your question now. Thank you. Ken, now the Mishnah in Avot, which we learned two, uh, three weeks ago, says that Hashem waited, waited from the generation of Adam until Noah, and he waited for the generation of Noah until Avram Avinu in order to show his patience. What does it mean, patience? Meaning that he allowed the generation from Adam Arishon all the way until Noah to sin as much as they were going to sin, in order to allow them to do tshuva. When he saw that there is no possibility for them to do tshuva, that's it, time was over. Same concept happened again from a generation of Noah all the way to the generation of Avram Avinu. The world again sinned again. They built the Tower of Babel and they were actually in some regards worse than the generation of Noah. But yet Hashem waited again. Not because He wanted them to do tshuva or was even expecting them to do tshuva. But... He created the whole world for Avram Avinu. He says it's worth it to let all of them sin because Avram Avinu is going to come from Noah. So the first ten generations had its own reason. Second generation had a different reason. It's not necessary that Hashem was just waiting there doing nothing with Himself. It's not. It's, it's only a metaphor. When it says that Hashem took Am Yisrael out of, a, um, out of Egypt with a strong right hand, not because he actually has a strong hand, hand or even has a hand. It's called metamorphosis, meaning it's giving you some type of understanding in our language, our mental language, to understand what Hashem did figuratively speaking, not literally speaking. But nonetheless, the Mishnah here is telling you that this whole issue of what came first, the chicken or the egg, the answer is very clear. It's the chicken. And the reason why it's the chicken is because Hashem does not need for the egg to hatch. He can create something completely full. He doesn't need a human being to go through nine months of labor. 
he created Adam complete. He doesn't need anything supernatural to happen to bring Chava, to bring Eve. He just took a bone out of Adam and he said, okay, she'll be slightly lesser than you. Why lesser than you? Because if I also create Eve or Chava out of nothing, then she'll think that I created the world for her and you'll think you created the world for you. And you're both going to fight for it. You're never going to get together. So by her being created out of you, both of you realize that the world was created for both of you. So the point is, Abotai, is that for all of those that say, if I understand this, then I'll do tshuva. If I understand this, I'll do the tshuva. The sages are replying to him, what's the mold? What do they mean by the mold? What do they mean that, the, that you don't need a tongue to make a tongue? You could just make a mold. It says the sages are explaining the mold is, is that there is already answers for all the questions that you actually need to know the answers for. All the questions that you keep asking, that you're saying, I'll only do tshuva when you have an answer for that, that's just simple excuses. Because the mold of all the questions, all the things you need to know that are applicable to your life, the answers are available to you. All the things that are not applicable to your life, if there isn't an answer, it doesn't make a difference anyway. If it doesn't have an answer, it doesn't make a difference anyway. For example, the question of what's the point of the red cow? Why does one person become pure and another person become impure? Even Shlomo Melech, the wisest of all men, said, this is beyond me. But he didn't become a kofel because of it. Why? It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. The things we need to know, we already have the mold. We already have a Torah. We already have a Torah that's going to give us everything we need to know. If it's a question about something we don't, it doesn't make a difference in us, Torah doesn't talk about it. So for example, the question of UFOs. How come the Torah doesn't talk about UFOs? Because UFOs do not affect us. There's never going to be an Independence Day, uh, 4th of July movie where a bunch of them come to Earth and take over the world. That's never going to happen. That's just in the movies. Are there aliens? Are they not? The Torah doesn't say there isn't. The Torah doesn't say there is. It does say that there are many other creatures that look like aliens on earth itself, which is actually describes that uh, in the Gemara, in the Zohar, and other places, there are other creatures that look like aliens to us, people with multiple heads, people that look like different things, different beings, and so on. There are such things, which to us, if we saw them right now, they would look like aliens to us. But are there people in different planets? It's irrelevant. Why? It's never going to affect us. It's never going to affect us. So this Abutaya Karim is the answer to that. That finishes that Mishnah. But there is one other question. There is one other question that someone asked me, and I promised them that I'll answer it. Is that when somebody makes a change in their life, a drastic change, what kind of change? They convert. They convert to Judaism. Now, as you all know, I love converts, not only because I'm married to one, but also because I am obligated to love converts, just like all Jews are. And anyone that hurts converts is making a sin from the Torah. Not one, but 36 of them. And according to the Rambam, a person must love Jewish righteous, Jewish converts as much as he loves God. Now, Someone asked me a fantastic question. 
if someone converts, but he has kids from a, you know before he converted, can he give them the blessing, like Am Yisrael gives the blessing, Yaakov gave a blessing to the sons of Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe, and since that day it's become customary among Am Yisrael to bless our children on Shabbat if it's a boy to be like Ephraim and Menashe. So if a person converted, but his children did not convert, can he give them that blessing? Can he give them that blessing? So first, let's understand the halacha, and then we'll understand what it actually means to bless your kids like Ephraim and Menashe. The Rambam in Ilchot Isuwe Be'a, halacha 11, chapter 14, halacha 11. It says when a goy, when a Gentile converts... Or a servant is freed, he is like a newborn baby. Meaning, when someone goes to the Bedin, they dip into the mikveh. After the Bedin, ask him questions. Do you accept the mitzvot on yourself? Do you know what Shabbat is? Do you know this? Do you know this? They pass the test. Do you accept the mitzvot on you? Yes. Say it. I da 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 da. Accept the mitzvot on myself. The written Torah, the oral Torah. You do all of it. Good. Okay. Go to the mikveh. Assuming the man already had a Brit Milah, they go into the Mikveh, they go into the Mikveh Chris, they come back, come out Yaakov. And the Rambam says, it's not just figuratively speaking, it's Mamash. Meaning, at that moment, Chris went into the Mikveh and came out Yaakov, Shemaim inserted a new Neshama in his body. And every single convert I've dealt with so far, Baruch Hashem has told me they felt it. They actually had a physical feeling. Sometimes right away in the mikveh, sometimes like a day or two later, like it was an aftershock. It was weird, it was strange, didn't, didn't know what to do with themselves during that time, but like a day or two later they felt something different. And every single one of them has told me, I wish I could do it again. That's how good it was. Now, the neshama enters the body. It's not a, oh, it's a nice custom like the, uh, the, 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 the Hindus have customs to drink urine of, uh, of cows. Lavdil. This is mamash Hashem. Rambam says it's a brand new baby. What does it mean brand new baby? Neshama at that point is zero years old. That's officially your birthday. Your previous birthday that you've had for your whole life for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years is no longer relevant to you. You're no longer the same person. You have a new birthday. You're not allowed to celebrate your previous birthday. It's not connecting to you at all. First of all, the Christian calendar is wrong anyway. The Gregorian calendar changes anyway. It's not your real birthday anyway because their calendar is wrong. And second of all, you have to use the Hebrew calendar. That's your birthday. The birthday you had in Neshama. Now, the halacha continues. Any relatives whom he had as a Gentile are no longer considered as relatives. If both he and they convert, he's not liable for relations with any of them. According to this next halacha, and I'll explain what it all means, according to scriptural law, a convert may actually marry his own mother or his maternal sister if they convert. Nevertheless, 
the sages forbid this so that the converts will not say we came from a more severe level of holiness to this less severe one yesterday this relationship was forbidden as a goy you weren't allowed to marry your sister or your mom and today I am how could this be similarly when a convert engages in relations with his mother or his sister when they have not converted it's considered as if he had relations with a woman whom he has no relation to whatsoever explanation of what all of this means when the neshama enters the convert's body they're officially somebody different it's not the same person now their mom is still the biological mom but she's not considered their mom or sister or whatever it was spiritually to such an extent that according to our Torah technically they're allowed to marry them but the rabbis forbid this why it looks bad it looks bad looks bad for the people that are converting that don't understand the full law yet and the magnitude of what it really means to have a new neshama it also looks bad for the eyes of people out there that say look the jews are marrying their mothers and sisters how could this be yes but the point is is that if the mom also converts that's what Allah just said if the mom also converts and he converts they are both considered two different people they're not considered mother and son anymore but the rabbi said they're still not allowed to get married according to the rabbis the rabbinical mitzvah not allowed to forbidden to do it why it looks bad the point is abutai the hardest thing you tell people hardest thing you tell converts that most people try not to say it but this is a reality it affects you it affects people it affects reality this is what Allah is that if a mother converted or a father converted and the children did not convert according to Hashem they're no longer their kids now does that mean you just throw them into the sidewalk does that mean that you uh, disrespect them does that mean you're not obligated to provide for them anymore no you're still obligated to you're still obligated to why because if you don't it would look bad it will become a Hilul Hashem you're not responsible for them because you're really responsible for them as your kids you're responsible for them because it would look bad in front of the green same concept for honoring your parents as long as your parents are not telling you your biological parents who did not convert and you converted or if they converted also but technically you're not related anymore spiritually you still have to honor them not because of the mitzvah of honoring your parents because according to the Rambam and all of our Torah they're not considered your parents anymore so why do you honor them anyway you honor them because of Akarata Tov you honor them because you owe them a gratitude for bringing you to the world and because it would look bad in front of the Goyim it would look bad in front of people if you don't honor your own parents when do you not honor them you don't honor them in the same condition as you don't honor even if they were Jewish and you're Jewish and they were you were Jew naturally when when what they're saying is against the Torah when they're telling you come to church with me you not only you you don't uh, honor them you're forbidden from honoring them you're forbidden from honoring them but under normal conditions if they're not anti-Torah if they're not idol worshipers that are trying to tell you to idol worship also you are obligated to honor them just as a gratitude just as a gratitude so as far as when it comes down to your children again they're not your kids anymore 
So to bless them as to be the sons of Ephraim and Asher is not so relevant anymore. But the reason why I mention this even further is because we don't understand what it means. The blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh. I'll answer your question momentarily. Let me finish the point. When you bless your kids and you tell them, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh, what are you saying? You want them to be like them, right? Why don't you say, may you be like Yehuda and Reuven and Shimon and Levi? Why? There's 12 tribes. Why didn't Yaakov tell Yosef, may your sons be like Yehuda, Tzaddik? Be like you, Yosef. Be like Reuven that did Shuva. Be like Shimon. Be like Levi. Be like all the other Tzaddikim. Why be like them? Why? Why? Why, why, why is Ephraim Menasheh such a big deal? Why till this day we have this minag? I only found this out recently. So I highly doubt most people know it. Not because I know everything, just simply because it's a very big chidush. I learned this also from Rabbi Yisim again. I love Shalom. He says the following. The reason why Yaakov said, may your children be like Ephraim and Hashem. It's not because Reuven and Shimon and Yehuda and Levi weren't great. They were amazing. They were the 12 tribes. I mean, does it get any better? The Hashem wrote their names on the Choshen, on the, uh, on the Kohen Gadol, this week's parasha. He wrote their names. He didn't write my name on there, not your name. He wrote their names on there. Actually, Reuven, maybe. But the point is, Abotai, he wrote their names on there. He wrote their names on there. So, amazing. What's the problem? So how come it's blessing? Why is how come it's not blessed like Uven? Why is it blessed like a fight? Why? Chidush of a lifetime. Uven, Shimon, Levi. All of the 12 tribes were from from birth. Their father's Gdoladol, it's uh, Yaakov. Grandfather's Yitzchak. Great-grandfather's Avram. Well, you get, can you get any more religious than that? Their whole life, they were full of Judaism. Their whole life, there's no Yitzchak. What Yitzchak you have? What do you have? Uh, Yitzchak is giving you a chidush today. Tomorrow, Avram is giving you a chidush. The next day, uh, your father, Yaakov, is giving you. What do you have? What, what's the problem? He said, if I am in Hashem, what do they have? They had idol worshippers next to them. If they could beat Tzadikim in Egypt, may your sons be like them. If they could beat Tzadikim in America, may your sons be like them. Why? That's a real Tzadik. A Baal Tshuva, much higher than any from from birth. Why? Because he could be a Tzadik even when he knows what the Yitzhak looks like firsthand. And he still chose God. That's why also... It says that you must love a convert more than you love a natural-born Jew and as much as you love God. Why? He chose God even though he didn't have to. So, if you could be a tzaddik in Egypt, you could be a tzaddik in France, you could be a tzaddik in America, you could be a tzaddik Baal Tshuva, may your sons be like that. Why? That's a real tzaddik. Okay, whatever. If you were, grew up in a really religious family, a shrecha, it's not a problem. You still rule in. They still wrote your name on the choshen. Everything is good. 
It's not a, it's not less for you. It's just that hey, he survived in Egypt. Wow, wow, that's a wow. That's why Yaakov said it. Chidush or no chidush? 